Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. In our Advent Sermon Series, The Language of Christmas, we are unpacking five ways to show love to one another. Physical touch, words of affirmation, quality time, acts of service, and giving of gifts. Jesus lived a life of perfect love for God's people. The greatest responsibility and opportunity for a Christ follower is to practice loving God and neighbor like he loved us first. It's our prayer that the love of Christ will be the greatest gift in your home this Christmas. Now, tune in as we study what love is and how to show it. Right. Well, good morning again. I'm glad to, uh, to be able to open up God's Word together, to be able to sing with you guys and uh, celebrate this time of year. I've, I've said this multiple times. I really, I just, I do. I love the songs of Christmas. I love to be able to sing those songs uh, together with, with the church and uh, by myself in my car. It's uh, quite a show. Uh, if you've seen me on the road uh, singing Christmas songs, I mean, Rudolph the Red-Nosed, it's all of them, I don't care. Uh, it's, it, you've, you've probably enjoyed that. Um, so, uh, I, but we're just glad to be able to, to worship together and can't wait to be here on Christmas Eve, uh, 2.30 and 4, to be able to uh, open up God's Word, to be able to sing songs together. We have a, a, a kid's moment kind of wrapped into that, uh, and then traditional candle lighting uh, as, as a part of those, uh, those two worship times, and so we're excited to be able to to do that, uh, to be able to celebrate Christmas together in that way. If you have your Bibles, want to jump in, uh, just kind of get that out. If you're going to use the app or, or a, an app on your phone or something, uh, we've got a couple of different verses we're going to look at uh, over the next little bit. So I'm not going to tell you to, to go to one place necessarily. Uh, if you do want to open to one place right now, you're like, I've got to have a place to go to. Now you've told me to get this out. Philippians, Philippians 2, you can go there. That will be there in just a minute. Um, but if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. We've got, we've got a couple in the uh, um, in the gym in there at the welcome table. We'd love to grab, let, we'd love for you to grab one and let that be a present for you this morning, a gift for you. Uh, as, as you uh, exit today, we'd love for you to have a copy of God's Word. We're in the middle of our Christmas or Advent series uh, where we've been working through the, the, the language of Christmas. And what we said from the very beginning, kind of going all the way back, and, and this is our fourth week, is, is from the very beginning that the language of Christmas is love. Right, that the language of the whole story, the whole message of Christmas, this whole, this whole Christmas story is the story of love. Christ's birth in, in the city of Bethlehem is the announcement of God's great love, his love that comes after us, his love for his creation. As John 3.16, it says, it's for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That the language of Christmas is love. And we've worked through over the past couple weeks, what we've done is kind of identifying from the book, love, The Five Love Languages from Gary Chapman, like these different languages, these different ways that love is communicated and kind of expressed and how, how, how the, the birth of Jesus Christ, this Christmas time is, is, the, is the message of love is Christmas. What are the different ways that God communicates his love to his people? as we've explored kind of this Christmas story. And we started off with physical touch and talked about how God came to us and he, he lived among us, that he laid his hands on the sick and the hurting that he was close to. When Thomas, when, uh, Thomas one of his disciples says, I, I won't believe unless I can touch the wounds that God came, Jesus came to him and, and let him touch those wounds. We had words of affirmation that, our, that Jesus, that God is the one who begins with words of affirmation. He starts the conversation. He delights in us. 
and the words that he speaks over us and how our words can help build and encourage and empower others. When we talked about quality time last week, this uninterrupted, this regular uninterrupted, distraction-free time that communicates love and connection with others and how, how much, how incredible it is that God wants to spend time with us. And how Jesus modeled this quality time with his disciples and his teachings and, and his lifestyle. As he spent quality time with the disciples and with, with the Father and, and, and all these enemies of quality time. That these distractions and different things and how we respond to those. On, on Christmas Eve we'll talk about uh, the giving of gifts. And uh, I don't, I'm not going to promise that I have a gift for you on Christmas Eve. Uh, I don't think that there's something that uh, Rebecca and I have worked out so that you can leave here with a gift from us. But uh, our presence will be a gift maybe uh, on that day. Uh, I'll sing a song for you. That's not true. Um, uh, but, but we'll talk about giving, giving gifts and how, how God expresses that love, especially, I mean, how clear that he gave his only son. Today we're going to talk about acts of service. Acts of service as one of the expressions, one of the, way, the five ways that Gary Chapman kind of identifies that we, people primarily receive and give love. And I don't know about you, but as we've worked through this series in some surprising ways, I, I've, or I've really enjoyed it, but in some surprising ways, I, I've really kind of like, like worked through and, and been captured or been caught off guard with some things that I, like I would not have thought about. Uh, th th there's some, some ways that perspective for me that has been changed or, or kind of opened up my eyes to, to especially kind of working through the story of Jesus and, and his coming and, and the Christmas story. Uh, there's a perspective of all the beautiful and thoughtful and intentional ways that the Lord has loved us in the birth of Jesus. The ways that he's shown his love to us through, through the birth of Jesus. And practically speaking, it's been challenging and somewhat convicting. The, the ways that, especially this week, when we talk about acts of service, which is my wife's, uh, my wife's love language, the way that she receives love and kind of learning and being reminded and, and, and being sad for her that I've not done any of these things over the past 18 years. And uh, yeah, it's, you can continue to pray for her. But uh, just, and, and then kind of even as we explored, like the natural ways that she expresses love that had had I not studied this, that, that I would miss the way that she loves our family, the way that she takes care of us, and, and that that's the way that she expresses that love. And if I just don't slow down, I don't appreciate it. In the same way, if I don't slow down, I don't appreciate the ways that God has served us, that he's done these intentional things to serve his people. In Ephesians chapter 3, if we, don't, if we don't slow down to capture these things, we miss what Paul prays for. He said that, that he prays that we would grasp how wide and how long and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses all knowledge, that we would be filled with the full measure and the fullness of God. He desires for us to, what Paul prays is for us to understand and to grasp how great God's love is. And if we don't slow down, we miss these different ways. And especially, I think we miss the ways that he served us. And so we're going to look through that look at that in a couple, couple different passages this morning. Before we dive in, I'm going to just ask the Lord to, to pray. We'll just pause and ask the Lord just to, to open our eyes to what he's doing in our lives and how in the story of Christ coming, he loved us so well and in and, and his acts of service. Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you. 
And we thank you that our confession of love is because you loved us first, that you stepped out of heaven, that you came to us, that you knowing that we, we were never going to come to you unless you opened our eyes, that God, you came to us, you rescued us. You laid your life down. And God, we pray that this morning as we open up your word, that you would help us to see the beauty of your word, the, the, the beautiful things that are in your word, that you would stir in our hearts a deeper love for you and that love would move us to deeper faith in you and that faith in you would move us to obedience to you and your word, no matter what the cost. And that we would be servants the way that you were a servant as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. It's in Christ's strong and mighty name that we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have your worship guides, we're going to fill out a couple things, but I think it's a good thing to start off with a definition. So acts of service, if you're filling this out, acts of service by definition right there at the top. It says acts of service is the intentional action done for someone to relieve responsibility and burden or support them in a meaningful way. It's an intentional action done for someone else, done for someone to relieve responsibility or burden or, su or support them in a meaningful way. And so I'm sure you're already, you've already looked at that next line and it's low-hanging fruit, so you've already filled it out. Some of you are like really like to do that, right? And so you know that it's actions speak louder than words. And so when you talk about love, when you talk about love languages and acts of service, for somebody that gives and receives acts of service as their, as their primary love language, it's the truth that, that actions speak louder than words, right? That, that it, may, it may seem simplistic, but it's a pretty clear and sim simple way to explain what it means to, that, to communicate love through acts of service. And I can tell you this because my love language is, is, is words of affirmation. I told you this a couple days ago or a couple weeks ago. My love language is words of affirmation. And I am really good at spewing outward. I will talk and talk. And Rebecca's like, empty the dishwasher, right? That's good. Good. All the talking's great. Empty the dishwasher. You can show me that you love me by doing this, right? So, I, so this, actions certainly speak louder than words in, in for somebody that receives and gives love in this, in this way. And so I want to look at a couple of things that I believe will help us understand and enlighten us to God's great love as well as compel us and empower us to share that love with others. And so the first thing is that acts of service is an expression of love that starts with looking at Jesus. So the first real major point, main point for us is that acts of service is an expression of love that starts with looking at Jesus. And I know that it seems like every week we've started kind of in this place and just with a kind of a nuance in the way that we put the words together, we've started in the same spot where we're looking at Jesus. But I can't, really there's no better place for us to look. There's nobody who's loved us better than Jesus. There's nobody who's loved us greater than Jesus. And so really there's no other place for us to look to understand what love is than looking at Jesus in, in, in all of these categories. And it says in, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another because love comes from God. John continues in verse 8, he says, God is love. He's the definition of love. In verse 19, he says, we love because he first loved us. And so there's really no better place for us to start than the source of love, the very definition of what love is. He's the one that loved us first. And so we can't understand love without looking at Christ. 
And if you have your Bibles, again, we, we start, we're going to start with this Philippians 2 passage. It really kind of hones in on what it looks like to give love in this, in this category of acts of services, being a servant. Listen to what it says. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded and having the same love. Being one in spirit and one in mind, verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking for your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used in his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. If you read throughout the New Testament, what you see in, in the, the kingdom that God ushers in, in the kingdom that Jesus comes to usher in is as as Paul kind of points to, have this mindset of Christ, have lived the life, the same kind of life and, and the actions that Christ has, what you see throughout the New Testament in Jesus' ministry and the way that the, the disciples and these, these writers of the New Testament all in their letters, what they talk about is, is they point to a kingdom that's an upside down kingdom. That the kingdom that God comes, that Jesus comes to usher in as a, a child in the manger and, and, and as, a, as a teacher, of, 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 as teacher and, and proclaimer of the good news that the kingdom is coming. And as he died on the cross, what he teaches and what he displays in his life and the way that he loves us is he's displaying and putting on display this kingdom that's an upside down kingdom. The very fact that he comes is upside down. It's backwards. In every other religion, in every other, in every other major and, and small religion, it's always us trying to get to God. It's always us on a journey to get to God, to please God. In every major religion that, 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 is, that happens in the world over, it's always us trying to reach God. But in Christianity, when it comes to, to Christ, it's him coming to us. The very fact that he came, the very nature that he comes to us is upside down. His arrival, the way that he comes is upside down. He came as a baby. It's not the way that anyone expected. It's one of my favorite Christmas songs. It's not one that, that we sing on, on a regular basis. It's from, uh, it's called Who Would Have Dreamed. And it says this, that one of the, one of the, the ways that the, they put these words together, it says the prophets had foretold it, a mighty king would come. The long awaited ruler, God's anointed one, but sovereign of all, but the sovereign of all, looked helpless and small as God gave the world his own son. Listen to these words. Who would have dreamed or ever foreseen that we could hold God in our hands, that the giver of life was born in the night, revealed, revealing God's glorious plan to save the world. The fact that he came, the way that he came, this mighty king, 
the long-awaited ruler, the, the Messiah, the anointed one, the one that had been foretold for centuries as, as, as God's people were, tr- were moving around and, and, and settling in, in Israel and, and being taken in captive to all these different places that God had foretold and promised all the way back in the Garden of Eden right after they committed the first act of, of sin. He got foretold that this was, he was going to send one that would one day rule. Nobody expected it to come in the form of a child. The way that he arrived, it was upside down. But it continues that that who he was born to, born to this virgin, this young lady that was engaged to be married to a carpenter. There's literally nothing special or significant about these two individuals before we meet them in the gospels. There's nothing significant. Actually, if you think of it, it's, it's almost that they're, that they're not just insignificant. It's almost like you wouldn't have actually said, this is his lineage. If you read through the story, if you read through the, the genealogy of Jesus, most kings would erase some of the things that would make them look, make them look less than, than great, but they don't erase any of that stuff. It's all there. There's all the things that would make it seem, listen, there's nothing significant about who he's born to. It's upside down. He wasn't born into a great family. Yes, they were in the line of David, but but this young lady and that young man was a carpenter and a young woman that was engaged to be married to this dude having dreams of living in their small town and raising some kids and then moving on. It was nothing, it was upside down, the fact that he was born to them and the fact that he was born where he was born. If you're from Nazareth, saying, saying that you're from Nazareth actually may be worse than saying you're from Louisiana. I was gonna say Mississippi, but I was like, I can't. I've gotta I've got say Louisiana. I've gotta just hit, own it. It's, it's pretty bad, right? There are times that I walk into places in Nashville that I'm, or just in this area that I'm like, if they find out that I'm from Louisiana, are they gonna kick me out of here, right? They're gonna be like, nah, you can't come here, right? Or they're gonna ask me to talk in a different language or something, I don't know, wrestle an alligator, I, I don't do that. But Nazareth was, a, a, was, a, was an uncelebrated forgotten town. It was off the beaten path, it was, it, but, it, but it was all a part of God's wise upside down plan for his son to live in this humble obscurity, the lowly out of the way, rural backwater forgotten town of Nazareth. It would be a stigma that Jesus would carry around even one of his disciples on, on learning that Jesus, this guy that, his, that these other guys were following on learning that Jesus was from Nazareth, his words were, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It would be something that would follow him. But it was all a part of God's plan, this upside down plan. And that's not the end. You just think that he was born in a stable, not in a palace. He was surrounded by livestock, not servants. That he was placed in a manger, not a cradle fit for king. He was announced to shepherds, not great scholars or politicians or city leaders on a hillside in the middle of the night, not in the city center, not in the square, not in a courtyard of some castle with lights, no, to the lowliest of servants in the lowliest place, he was announced. And it just continues as you read through the New Testament and all of his teachings and all of the writings that this man comes to usher in an upside down kingdom where the last or the first and the greatest are servants 
or the last or first and the greatest are servants. He says it to his disciples, especially this happens right after John and James, the sons of thunder are trying to ask for Jesus to let them, actually it's their mom asking Jesus to let them be on the right hand and the left. It's one of the reasons I left student ministry because I didn't want moms to ask me for things like this and Jesus had to deal with it too. It's what student pastors have to deal with. Mom's like, hey, can my kid be the best? I'm like, no, they're not the best. But Jesus says this, he calls all the disciples together. He says, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. Their high, official, their, their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Instead, whatever we, whenever, whoever wants to be great among you must become a servant. Who wants to be first must become your slave or last. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see what John and James wanted were status. They didn't want to be servants. They wanted status. But Jesus says that's, that's not the way that this is in the kingdom of God. That the, to, be, to be the best, to be the greatest, you're going to have to be a servant. To be the first, you're going to have to be last. And Jesus, again, he puts it on display, not just with words and teaching. He puts it on display later in John chapter 13. It says that at the, right, before the, or right before the Passover, just hours before he would, be, he would be arrested and put on trial and crucified for the sins of the world, he's sitting in, at dinner with the disciples and he takes off his robe and he kneels down in front of them and he washes their feet. This is the, the action of a servant. Nobody wanted to do this. All of them would have rejected doing this because all of them would have said they're the greatest, right? But Jesus models for them what it means to be great is to be a servant. And there's so much more, to be honest, if we, we could spend the whole, whole time this morning just talking about this upside-down kingdom. We have to move on to what it means to live in this upside-down kingdom and what it looks like. And so the second main point is that acts of service are expressions of love that calls for submission to Jesus and others. It calls for submission to Jesus and others. And submission is a tough word. It's one that we don't really like. It's kind of countercultural. It's as countercultural as it comes. And it really goes back to that Philippians passage in, in chapter, chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. It says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Right? That selfish ambition, it, it'll ruin you. You do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, considers others more important than yourself. That's submission, not looking out for your own interest. But each, but each of you looking out for the interest of others. That's what submission is. Putting, putting others first, valuing them above yourself, their interest above your own. And again, this is absolutely opposite to what our culture tells us to do and the culture tells us to live. When we're, our culture says that we're first and everybody else can figure it out on your own. Like, I'm going to get mine, right? Have you ever heard that? Like, I'm, I'm going to get mine and you can figure out your stuff, but I'm going to take care of me. But in this upside down kingdom, it calls us to be submissive. And acts of service is that submission to Jesus and to others. And there's a couple of places, a couple of practical things that I think can kind of help us if we look at this. It's that the beginning of it is that it's thoughtful and intentional. That this kind of love, these kind of actions, they don't just happen. 
They're, they're intentional, they're thoughtful, right? And, 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 and when, I, when I say thoughtful, I'm, it certainly means that it could take effort to think through these things in special ways that we could serve. And that's certainly one of those things. If, if, you're, if your significant other or somebody in your family receives love through this, like thoughtfully thinking of ways that, they, that you can do those things, that's, that's really great. But in this particular case, when I'm talking about thoughtful, I'm meaning that it's not just this ignorant, blind, walking into it without really knowing what you're doing. That you've counted the cost. And I love in Luke, or in, in Luke chapter 1 where, where, the, where the angel meets Mary. And it says in verse 38, it says that I am the Lord's servant, answered Mary. May your words be fulfilled. And the angel left her. And I think a lot of times what we see in this passage and what we see even as Joseph, as he's going to divorce her quietly, he says that he's going to just kind of get, he's going to move on quietly and the angel visits and he says he's going to step in and do this. He's going to actually go through with this marriage even though she's pregnant with, with a child that's not his. What we see in those moments is not just this blind faith. They don't just walk in and be like, oh, an angel told me to do it. I'm going to do it. They're thoughtful. Mary, when this interaction with the angel, she asked questions. She, she asked questions about what it means. How is this going to happen? I, and, and it's not in a disbelieving type of way, right? She's not just questioning him like, this can't happen. She's like, I, I want to know more about what you're asking me to do. I really want to count the cost of what's happening. I can't believe that you would say that I'm honored, that I'm, that I'm seen by God. I can't believe what, I, I don't understand what you mean that I'm going to have a child. I can't do that. I'm not, I'm not even married. So she asked these great questions and she thoughtfully considers what's happening. And then she makes the decision to say, I am the Lord's servant. Not because she understands all the details, not because she knows all the things that are going to happen. She has just a very small understanding, but it's enough understanding that she thoughtfully thought through what was going to happen. And so she says yes to being the Lord's servant. And in doing so, she rejects the, she rejects acclaim and understands the cost. She rejects status and acclaim and understands the cost. Loving Jesus and serving is going to mean rejecting this status, rejecting acclaim and applause from people. Being a servant means that, that I'm going to lay my life down even if nobody notices it. I'm going to understand the cost of what's going to happen. Think about this, that Mary, when she's visited by Gabriel, there's no one that's more unlikely to be the center of this divine story than Mary. But she's not looking for prominence. She's not looking for acclaim. She was, like every other Jewish peasant girl in Nazareth, simply living out an ordinary life in an ordinary town with ordinary dreams, when she says, yes, I'm the Lord's servant. When she says that, when she makes that announcement that I am the Lord's servant, that culturally she has to understand that if what this angel is saying, and I'm going to end up pregnant, and it's not going to be the man that I'm betrothed to marry, that it's going to mean that it's going to cost me something that my neighbors, that my family, that even the, the man that I'm, I'm, I'm engaged to marry, they're all going to have questions. If Joseph stays, it's going to mean that I'm going to raise this child on my own. 
rejected by all of these people. If he doesn't, if, if he doesn't stay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to raise this child on my own. If he does stay, it's going to be, it's going to be crazy for us as everybody kind of looks and says, yeah, sure, an angel, right? As, as everybody has questions about what's happening, all of these things that she has to count the cost. She has to understand that it's going to cost her something to do what God has called her to do. In some ways, she was going to throw away all of those ordinary dreams, not really knowing what the outcome would be. But she was going to say yes to being his servant, to being the Lord's servant, thoughtfully considering it, rejecting status. And so what she does is she purposefully puts others before herself. She purposefully puts the call of God before her own ordinary dreams and says, yes, I'll do it. Not because it was convenient, not because she had enough time. She's like, yeah, I mean, I guess I can waste the next nine months and just do this, it's fine. It was gonna change her life and she didn't even know the full extent of what it was going to do to change her life. But it wasn't because it was convenient. It wasn't because she had the right, enough time. And Jesus, if we think about it, Jesus didn't do it, didn't come to us because it was convenient. And all of eternity, he wasn't like, you know what, I'm not doing anything for the next 33 years. Let me just go ahead and go down there, put on some skin, do this for a little bit. It wasn't convenient. It was becoming a servant. Laying aside the, the throne and, and the glories of heaven to come and to rescue those who had rejected him. And lastly, we got to see that acts of service are an expression of love that will change lives. Just in our own relationships, what, it ha what happens in these relationships is for those who identify acts of service as their primary love language and, and they're, they're loved by individuals that, that, that are dear to them in this way, what it does is it fosters intimacy and security. It, st it stirs this intimacy and security. And I, I, like, the, obviously there's some ways that, you're, that intimacy that some may be thinking, but I'm, I'm really just talking about the connection, the ability to connect, that, that good connection that's, that's deep and understanding and that, that, that we're on the same team, that we do this together, that, that, we're, that we are, we're, we're in this as a team. That it's deeper than just, just friendship, but that there's a, there's a depth of, 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 or deeper than just companionship. There's a depth of friendship and intimacy and security. There's, that's, it knows that I'm, that I'm cared about. It, it's this, when I, when I step in and, and it changes lives, it, it, it changes, especially in our marriages. When, when I step in in ways to, to show my wife that I love her through acts of service, it tells her that she's not alone in this that I see that there are needs and I'm meeting those needs, not just with words as I flood the house with those. She's like, that's great, pick up the clothes on the floor. I don't wanna be alone in this effort. Stepping into those things to actually say, I love you, that we do this together. And it forms that intimacy and security that, that, that I'm known and I'm seen. And it doesn't just happen in marriage relationships. It happens in friendships as we step in and say, hey, I know that you're struggling and I'm going to step in and, and, and let you know. You've experienced, many of you have experienced this in, in moments of, of a family crisis or, or emergencies or big events when somebody helps, steps in and helps in a, in a significant way. 
Many of you have received dinners from families in, in, in a moment of, of craziness, maybe when a, ch- a child comes, a new, a, you have a new baby or, or there's a, a, a family emergency and somebody steps in and brings you a meal and you see that in tangible ways that you're not alone. There's, there's, there's really a few times in, in relationships, there's few times in, in our friendships, especially just friendships among families, where we have these opportunities to really step in and let people know that we actually care about them in more than just words, more than just the text message that I'm praying for you, but stepping in, showing up, offering to help. I can remember when I hurt my back years ago and I was a weenie and was down for a couple weeks or whatever and uh, I milked it maybe a little longer than I probably should have. <laughs> I'm joking, maybe not. but. Uh, but that first weekend, some of my buddies showed up and they mowed my grass. And you know, there was a moment where I was like, I don't need you to do that, I don't need you to do that. But it felt so good to know that somebody else saw it and they thought I can step in and I can help in this way. And I knew that those, those guys were my friends, that those guys, they saw, they saw that there was needs and they were willing to step in and meet them to show up and to help out. And when we serve and we put others before us in our, in our own needs, we show that we value them above ourselves. And what happens is we embody the story of Christ. We embody, or we're embodying and communicating the story of Christ. Christ came not to, not to be served, but to serve. And so when we step in in these ways and we, we reject status and, we, and we, the least are the greatest and we put ourselves as servants of others, it happens every year around this time for Rolling Hills. And some of you have been able to do this and there's still some spots left this week to serve at the, at the, um, the wrapping station at Cool Springs Mall. It happens every year as people come up to, to wrap gifts, right? Or, we, or they come up to have their gifts wrapped and people are like, why do you do this? And, and as we can explain, hey, listen, we're, we're a church that wants to serve our community. We're a church that wants to do these things. But really what we're doing in a small way is embodying the story of Christ. That he loved us by stepping into our darkness, by stepping into our moment of need and provided for us what we needed. In a very small way, we want to do the same for somebody else. And embody the story of Christ. And the message of Jesus who came to rescue us came to step into our darkness and provide what we really needed to lay aside the throne and everything to communicate his love for us. And, and when we do that, it changes our perspective and grows us spiritually. Jesus didn't have to serve, right? Jesus didn't have to do what he did. It was the plan. It was what God, but it didn't have to be this way. But he did, and because he did, because he stepped in, because he did what God had had foretold from from the very beginning, because because he stepped into our darkness, things changed. Because he stepped in, good things happened. And when we do the same thing, whether that's in our home or in our neighborhood or in our church, good things happen in the lives of those that, that we serve. And not only that, God knows when he calls us to be servants that it's going to change us. That it's gonna change our lives as well as it might change others' lives. And so we step in and we serve 
because it changes our perspective and it grows us spiritually and it allows us to point to Jesus as our hope and lives can be transformed in that way. You know, we made the announcement last week as the, as the guys come, we made the announcement last week that, um, I guess that was last week, maybe two weeks ago, I can't remember, uh, that by God's grace we have, we're continuing the contract negotiations with uh, Chalice and, and those things are kind of wrapping up and uh, we'll be moving on and, and it looks like everything's going to be great. And so just continue to pray and ask for God's favor in that and just really excited about it. There's more things that we'll talk about later, and, 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 but, but specifically, you know, I, I think about this past week as we were just kind of getting ready for this week and looking at all the folks that it takes to actually make this happen. And there's about 72 people, not on a particular Sunday, but 72 people that serve in a, in, in a core team role at Rolling Hills, Rolling Hills Columbia. On a given, given Sunday, it's about, it's about 45 to 50 people that make all of this happen. That it's not, it, it, Tiffany is awesome, right? But it's not just Tiffany that makes all this happen. There's about 45 people that, she's majority of it. She does most of it. But there's about 45 to 50 people on a given Sunday that make all of this happen. That, that lay aside, that not because it's convenient, but they say, I, I'm going to serve the church in this way. And as we move to another location, I, I think about what's gotten us here is people that have been willing to step in and to find their place to serve. And there's new, two new people that started this morning, which is awesome, right, to serving at, the, serving at, the, at the, the door as it comes in and just being greeters and welcoming folks and smiling faces. It's awesome. But as we move to this next phase, as we move on, I, I believe we're going to have to double what we have right now. Which means for some of us, then, and I know maybe you've been hurt in the church before. Maybe you're kind of coming in. You don't even really know what's going on. Maybe this is the first time you've been a part of a church. But it, it's going to take taking that next step and finding your place. And saying, I, I'm going to be a servant. I'm going to show the people that I, that I worship with that I love them. I'm going to show my community that I love them. I'm going to show the body of Christ that I'm a part of this. That I'm in this story with them by stepping into being, finding my place to serve. We're going to need you. Because I believe without a doubt, I believe that, that God's going to, as, as he opens the door for us to be in this place and we find this permanent home, that what we, what we prayed from the very beginning, that we would be a home for people who have a house here but don't have a home yet, that that's going to continue to happen. That they have a home, that they have a place to live, but they don't feel like they have a home and a family yet. And God's going to open those doors and we're going to have people that are going to come to Rolling Hills when we move into that place. And they're going to need a home. And you guys, some of you guys who have not stepped out and, and made that step yet to serve are going to be those people who welcome them and take care of their kids and serve to make things set up. And we're not going to have to set up like this, praise the Lord. But you're gonna, they're going to have to serve in some other ways and make coffee and do all those things. And you're going to be a part of making it a welcoming place for those families to come in just like somebody else made it welcoming for you. And it's going to take us saying, I'm going to serve. I'm going to lay aside not to be served, but to serve in the same way that Christ did. To make this, the mindset, the same as Christ. To put others before myself and serve them. As we sing uh, this song, and you can sing, uh, I, 
you can stand and sing if you want. I think, right, it's not a sing over, right? Sing, stand and sing if you want. It may not be one that you know very well, but the words are incredible. As just this reminder, as you just reflect on the words, that only one king ever stepped off his throne to come and save us. Only one king laid down everything to be a servant. And that's the one that we worship. It's the one that we've come and gathered here today to sing to and to open up his word. And so let's, let's reflect and let this be a time of reflection for us before uh, it's just kind of in between here as we close out this morning. But just let the Lord kind of speak to us as we sing this song together. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you again and we thank you that you loved us first, that you love us best, that you love us always and your love never fails. God, as we reflect on your love, may it move us to love others in the words that we speak, in the way that we, the way we connect, but in the way that we serve them, just the way that you served us. You loved us enough to come after us. It's in Christ's strong and mighty name that we pray. Amen. That's the end of this episode on the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. Before you go, we invite you to think about who you could share this sermon with. Click the subscribe button so you can be notified each time we release a new sermon. Did you know Rolling Hills publishes other podcasts too? Check out the Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, and the RH Women's As You Go Podcast. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. And lastly, from the church family to your family, Merry Christmas.